0: Hi, and welcome to Security Explained. I'm Chris Grayson. I'm Drew Porter. And I'm Logan Lamb. We're coming to you every two weeks with tips and tricks on how to protect yourself and your loved ones out there on the internet and in real life. Today, we're talking about a threat, which when we describe it, you'll say, who falls for that? The reality though, is it is one of the most effective and simple methods attackers use to steal your accounts, money, and sensitive information. We're talking about fishing on today's episode what is fishing how can you avoid getting fished what do you do if you get fished let's find out logan how about you kick us off and give us a definition of fishing what are we talking about today fishing is when a bad guy contacts you and tries to con you and extract some something valuable from you whether that be Uh, money, information, something along those lines. the way this normally goes is a bad guy will impersonate some, uh, trusted entity entity. Someone you trust that might be a distant relative. It might be a company, say Facebook or your bank, or, or it might be an authority figure, say the IRS, or if you're at the office, your boss. Uh, And once again, the goal is to obtain something valuable to you that might be um, uh, account credentials, say, usernames, passwords, uh, multi-factor authentication codes, which I know everyone out there is using. Right. (laughs) Uh, They might be (laughs) they might try and obtain your credit card information, um, sensitive data that would allow them to steal your identity or. Uh, they might try and get you to send you send them money say through venmo or a wire transfer and and a part of these cons is after they contact you they will frequently say this needs to be taken care of now and and the motivation for doing that is so you don't have enough time to really think about what you're doing Uh, they might say if they're impersonating your bank or impersonating a company like Facebook, that they've noticed some suspicious activity on your account, or some login attempts that you need to uh, verify. They might include a fake invoice. If you're uh, working at your business, they they may impersonate a company that you would normally uh, pay.
1: They might offer you free Starbucks rewards, Drew. They might offer you free Starbucks awards. <laughs> very, well, very yeah. high likelihood <laughs> in, in well, the uh, early 2010s. Yeah,
0: we'll, we'll talk about that a bit later. Yeah. But I, I feel like there's, there's some uh, far better known examples of, of like standard fishing and texture.
1: Definitely. So the standard example that I think everyone knows is like the Nigerian Prince. We have an example. I mean, this, this has just been going on for such a long time. It, it's became a joke in popular culture, right? Some Nigerian prince emails you saying that they have a ton of money and they need your help and they'll give you a share of that money. So this person that has a ton of money, some for some reason, they just can't you know, get access to it. They need a few hundred dollars to get access to their money. Which on, you know, if we think about it for a second, it's just ridiculous. Someone yeah. that has a ton of money yeah. that needs a few hundred dollars. Like, my bank has locked my account and they won't let me unlock it without a few hundred dollars. It's like... If you got a few mil in the, if you got a few mil in the bank, you're just gonna, they're gonna gonna unlock it for you. Yeah, Um, should
0: should be fun. But the 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 way that I have gotten these emails as well is something to the effect of like, I need to do a wire transfer into your country. I need a bank account to do the transfer to. I'm going to run that transfer, and then you just give me a chunk of it back, uh, and then we'll be fine. But because of the way that the wire transfer actually looks, it'll look like that money shows up in your bank account when it actually hasn't been fully, uh, basically. I guess fully copied over. I, I don't. I don't really understand the the mechanisms behind how the banking system works. But the whole point is that you will see money that you believe to be in your account, and therefore you will give them part of that money back. But then it turns out that that money is not really in your account yet, and then the money gets deducted, and you've now given a part of your money without receiving anything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, when when you are sent a wire transfer, like a through SWIFT, right, an international wire transfer. At least from what I've seen, it will say like pending wire wire transfers. Uh, and then it will tell me like, you know, international and people see that and they're like, Oh yeah. Hey, look, they just did the wire transfer. Like it's pending. Uh, so they'll respond. They'll do a wire transfer back. And by the chance, by the time the wire transfer goes through. And usually I have found that they'll ask you to do a wire transfer to like another domestic account. Um, and then they'll go and send it international from there. But, Uh, It might be that some just have you send it straight international, but with that, they, they trick you because they will see like a pending incoming wire and for at least for some banks for the banks I use that they do show that for like international wires coming in. So that's how someone could definitely fall for it. I mean, the next one, the next popular one is extremely popular around April 15th and a few months after is the IRS refund scam. And this is where uh, there's a few different types of IRS scams, actually. Uh, and they'll call and they'll say, hey, we can't process your refund. We need your information or we need to validate some information. Or they'll, they'll call and they'll say, you owe the IRS a ton of money and you're going to get arrested and go to jail unless you pay us you know, $3,000 or something like that within the next 24 hours. So it goes with that call for immediate action that Logan was just talking about. But those are the two famous IRS ones, one asking for to verify your information so that you can get your refund. And then the second one being, uh, they'll say that you owe the IRS a ton of money. And just a quick note. I mean, the IRS will never call you. Uh, You can call the IRS, but the IRS will not call you. They'll send you alerts or messages through certified mail so which some of the scammers have have actually started picking up on and they they've started to send letters that kind of look like the irs oh wow um, yeah yeah that was, uh i i recently learned about that uh a friend of mine received one that was not from the irs so but he he reached out to me and he was like hey is this a legitimate oh, and i was like no not at all <laughs> But uh, the next one, the next common example, I think, and this is just three common examples spreading uh, tons of different spectrum, but mobile banking SMS scams. So a lot of banks are implementing SMS into their alerting features for individuals. So you'll get an SMS saying, you know, oh, did you recently purchase I don't know, a software-defined radio from, you know, some company for a few thousand dollars. And that would be an example if you're targeting me. But, uh, <laughs> uh, and it would be like, if you didn't, like someone, someone clearly did. So you need to log into your account and make sure that you mark this as fraudulent. Mm-hmm. So they'll get, they'll get this SMS or they'll, they'll get like a, another one that is falls along a similar line. is like the credit report. Like someone just took a, did you just, it will say congratulations on your uh, new credit card with your bank. And it will be like what bank you go with. Um, you know, log in to see the details of it. And people are like, I didn't apply to your credit card. So they'll click on the link on the SMS scam itself and or the SMS text messages that they get. And then it will pop up a login page that will look just like their bank's login page. And they will type in their credentials. And some of the really good ones will actually just drop them into their bank's like mm-hmm. um, login. Or, or they'll pass the credentials forward and actually log them into their account. Some of the not-so-good ones will just pretend like you can't log in no matter how many times you type in your password. And then some of the other ones that are, I'm not going to say great, but not terrible, will send you to a link to like do a password reset on your actual bank. Um, but but that in itself is also a phishing scam because I'll get that new password. Um, mm-hmm. But it, so th- these are these kind of, you know, big three within this. And. There are a ton more. I mean, there, there's literally thousands of different examples that we can go with, but these are generally what we find to be the most popular ones within the within the you know larger community as a whole. So, the methods that are used with this first one uh, is just going to be untargeted mass sending of email, text messages, phone calls. They require a conversation piece or some type of action uh, with the attacker themselves. And... Or that that action could just be clicking on the link. These are the least sophisticated and they're really targeting only the lowest of low fruit. This is not going to get someone who is even a tiny bit aware. Or at least hopefully it it doesn't. Now the ones that, that will get people that are even a tiny bit aware or, or aware are going to be the semi-targeted ones. They're going to have more attention to detail as well as more attention to crafting the attack to the victim. So they'll know what bank you use. They'll, they will pass the credentials to the bank. They'll know that you probably have a PayPal account or they'll find your PayPal account linked to your email. They'll send you some type of email saying you need to log into your PayPal account. They'll know a tiny bit of information about you. Even the IRS uh, scam ones, they'll have the last four of your Social Security in some uh, very targeted instances. And then from semi-targeted, we go to a thing called spear phishing, which is extremely targeted. And... These in themselves are actually one of the more dangerous phishing attempts, because they'll have a ton of information on you. They'll know where you were born, they'll know your birth date, they'll know the last four of your social security number. They'll have all these information, and what, what they're looking for is a missing piece of information that they need, Or they want you to do an action, and you won't do it unless you, they can verify you. And they'll go and they'll be like, all right, before we do this, we need to verify some information about you. And they will verify the information to you. So you'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, they already have all this. So they clearly are someone who is, you know, they are who they say they are, because only that person would have this information. And this has been done a lot against executives and companies. Uh, This has been done against uh, security companies themselves, uh, media companies, politicians, spear phishing is one of the most successful attack types in phishing, but it takes a lot of work beforehand. And then with all this, I mean, the the, the general techniques, once it comes, I mean, th- those are the general targeting methods, but the general techniques, cloning a website uh, is the most common one. Sending an email that's spoofed um, and what a spoofed email is, is being able to send an email as anyone you want to because of some insecurities in a mail server. And so you can get an email from, you know, press contact at or .gov. Oh, God, don't go to WhiteHouse.com. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Uh, whitehouse.gov. There we go. Whew. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they'll, they'll, you know, we've done it where it was, you know, XYZ media company at that company's actual email.com mm-hmm. and everything will look legitimate. They'll have a link to the site. Sometimes they won't even use the real site. They'll just clone that site as well. And so you click on that link, goes to their site, all the pictures look the same. It looks almost identical to their site, Uh, except when you log in, it's going to capture that login credential. Or when you click the site, it's going to, you know, some older methods is try to attack your browser to then break out of the sandbox that your browser is in and, and attack your actual Laptop or whatever system you're clicking it on. But what they want is some key piece of information from you. And there's going to be people that are going to say, you know, I'm never going to fall for this. I can't fall for this. And those are the people that generally are going to be the ones that fall the hardest. They're going to fall for that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They, They are going to fall even for the untargeted. Ones. The, the ones that think they can never be susceptible to social engineering are going to be the ones that are going to click on the link almost every single time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there. I mean, there's there's multiple links out there. There, There's multiple stories out there talking about click through rates and, and what a click through rate is. If a phishing email is sent or fishing, phishing SMS is sent, what percentage of people are actually going to click on it? Uh, and then, what what percentage of people are going to do the action after they click on it? And those numbers, you know, range from thirteen to forty nine percent, depending on how sophisticated the the attack was. Again, yep. even the most alert person is going to fall for like a spear phishing. Right? If I called you as your bank, I had your account number, I had everything that you would think I needed you to have, but I require you to log in because um, I don't have your credentials uh people are going to fall for it right they're going to be like oh well they have my account number already so like clearly if they were a bad person they would go and try to get that information for me but you also have to remember that your bank account number is on you know checks so there are other ways to acquire bank account numbers uh, but what they really need is your credentials so that they can do a wire Uh. But yeah if it is a spearfishing attack, not many people are going to be alert mm-hmm. enough to to determine that like this is what's happening uh, yep. right in that moment though they maybe they might realize it like a week later or a few days later, but at that time, it's already happened, and yep. they got what they needed
0: yeah we'll have a we'll have a few stories about some spearfishing campaigns that drew and I participated in uh back when we worked together later in the later in the episode but i want to take a minute to talk about like okay these are the different kind of ways that you can get fished, the different motivations behind why you might get fished. uh let's let's break down some ways that you can kind of identify if somebody is trying to fish you so i'm gonna i want to talk about how you can identify email phishing so let's say that you get an email in your inbox and you're like, hey, you know what? I this, I don't feel entirely comfortable with this email right now. I, I think think I might be getting fished. Well, well, what do you do? First off, like one big question is like, is this email trying to get you to do something, like click a link, like respond with a document, like open an Excel sheet, uh, all that sort of? Thing. If, if the answer is no, if there's no real call to action, if there's nothing actually happening, then it's the question that becomes like, what is the motivation for somebody to be doing this? if they're not being genuine, right? Like whenever I'm thinking about, is there a problem here? I tend to go back to the principle of like, is there is there some economic incentive to be behaving badly here? And if the answer is no, then it's probably just a misunderstanding. Uh, but let's say that there is a call to action. Let's say that it's like, uh, uh, you know, hey, we need you to go log in over here, or hey, we need you to open this and print it. Something like that. What are what are some steps that you can do to check to see or get a better idea of whether or not this is legitimate? Uh, one big thing is, you know, if I'm going to try to impersonate a particular company, then I want my emails to look like they're coming from that company, right? So one thing you can do is look at the sender email address. If this is an email that says that it's from your bank, then you would expect that the sender's email address would be, you know, let's say that it's Chase, then it's going to be like, so-and-so's name at chase.com. And be very attentive to this as well, because it might not, it it might look like chase.com at first glance, but maybe it's chase.net, or it's chase.org, or it's chose.com, a, a letter that looks, you know, unless you look really closely, it looks like an A, or it looks very close to the domain that you expect it to be. Or maybe it's not the same domain at all, right? Like, so maybe it's just like, somebody's name at gmail.com or some other website that's completely unrelated a big indicator as to whether or not this is a legitimate email is is the sender actually from the organization that i think they are and like is the email domain the legitimate one that you would expect to see from that uh, from that organization that's not going to be 100% accurate 100% of the time, there are ways and again, we'll talk about them later, uh, that you can spoof email, that I can make it look like I'm sending legitimate email. And there are ways that you can also prevent that. But in a lot of cases, especially for older businesses, uh, they don't have this configured in the right way. So they can actually have emails spoofed from uh, from them to to other parties. So another thing that might tip you off that something weird is going on is like, let's say that you open your email account and you just have lots and lots of emails for some reason that they've somehow made it into your inbox. And it might be like, well, this seems kind of weird. This doesn't really feel like phishing. These are just like, this is just a flood of emails. So this is a technique that uh, people can use to kind of hide otherwise damning information. So think about a case where it's like, let's say that they have either like reset your password or logged into some account on a new computer or something like that. And they know that this this action that they have done results in an email being sent to the the party that owns the account. Well, how can you make it so that it's likely that that email is not going to be seen? You can flood that email account with other emails. So let's say that, you know, there's one email that's going to say like, hey, your password was reset or hey, your account was logged into at this location. But the attacker also somehow managed to get thousands of emails sent to you at the same time, all of a sudden, that one piece of that, that one email that has important information in it is now sitting in the midst of 5,000 nonsensical emails. Are you really going to take the time to go through all of that and find the one that is actually important? So if you do get a flood of emails that you shouldn't be getting, be careful because there might be one in there that was actually being hidden by this attack. Some other things you can do, so if you have the email and it's saying like, oh, click on this link to go do something um, like, so let's say that it the email appears to be from your IT department and it's saying like, oh, we need you to go log into this portal um, or it's from your bank. And they're saying, we need you to go log into our website. You can click on the link, uh, depending on, I guess, in modern browsers, clicking on the link is, is less risky than it used to be. Uh, but you can also mouse over the link. So just Take your, take your cursor and, and place it on top of the link and take a look at where the link is actually going, right? So again, going back to the bank uh, to the bank example, if this is uh, in, an email from chase.com, it's from the Chase bank and it's saying, we need you to log into your accounts and it has has a button that says log in now. And when you hover over log in now, the URL that it's taking you to is not the Chase, uh, Chase website. That's a big red flag right there. One caveat to that is, there's a bunch of services that will actually do like link shortening um, or or metrics tracking for link clicks in emails. So so this is this is not as bulletproof of an approach as it used to be because now even valid links might have um, some some other weird third party URL that like when you click on the link it actually takes you to a third party tracking site and then redirects you to the link that you're supposed to go to. Uh, but especially for for the most important emails that you're getting that are, that have calls to action in them. It typically won't be what you're going to see. Um, And, and one of the reasons why is because they don't want to obfuscate their links behind, behind some weird service like that. So you can't see what you're clicking through too. Uh, The biggest thing though, I guess kind of the, one of the most likely ways that you're going to get compromised is by opening attachments. So if somebody sends you a spreadsheet or a uh, you know, a Word document or a PowerPoint presentation or any one of these things, uh, if you don't know who that party is that sent it to you, we highly recommend that you do not open it. little known fact to, to many people is that all of these different document types that work in the Microsoft Office suite, they actually have a full scripting language built into them. So I can actually write script in a spreadsheet that, when you open that spreadsheet, that script will execute, and it will do much more than just operate on that spreadsheet. And that's in that's kind of across the across the board in all of Microsoft products. <laughs> one one other caveat to this is, as um, as browsers have kind of gotten better, and as <clears throat> email has gotten more into browsers, right? So. It used to be that like maybe you're using your Outlook client that just is on your desktop, or you're using uh, Thunderbird, you're using some some email client that is not in a browser nowadays in browser email clients are far more common, and as such opening it when you open an attachment in an email client that is in browser, depending on what browser you have, instead of opening that attachment like in Microsoft Office or in some other application that pops up up on your computer, it actually previews it for you in your browser. And that is going to be a safer way of looking at attachments than downloading the attachment and opening it in a separate piece of software, just because there's been so much attention paid towards how do we make browsers more secure. Quick, Quick recap of how can we identify if you're being email phished. First off, take a look at the sender email address is there anything funky about it? If there's anything funky at all, if it's coming from the wrong domain or it looks like if it's a domain that looks like what it should be, but it's just slightly off, like these are big indicators that this is not a legitimate email. If you get a flood of email, keep in mind that somewhere in there, there might be a critical, a critical message that somebody didn't want you to see. Uh, if the email that you get contains weird links stuff to uh, websites that aren't what, what you would expect via, vis-a-vis the content of the email itself, be careful, and then if there's unexpected attachments or there's attachments coming from parties that you don't know or you don't trust, be very careful in opening them. So these are these are for email. How about for SMS or instant message uh, phishing, Logan? That's a great question. Um, uh, on the whole, I would say everything you just covered on how to identify shady links. Uh, That applies to links you get over SMS or IM, say, over Facebook Messenger. Um, In general, when you get links over SMS and they look shady, don't click them. It's that easy. And if you end up getting an SMS or Facebook IM um, saying, hey, you may have won a prize worth 150 k something like that, someone's probably trying to fish you. You should not... Click on that link. You shouldn't trust it. And uh, specifically to SMS, uh, something a lot of people may not be familiar with, SMS messages can be spoofed. And uh, in addition to that, there are SIM swapping techniques. So if you get an SMS, even from a trusted number, you should be somewhat... Uh, suspicious of that if they're asking you to click a link and log in anywhere. But uh, one of the easiest ways to identify shady SMSs is if you uh, get one from a number that is not a normal uh, phone number with an area code. Yeah, I've, I actually have a I have a anecdotal um, anecdotal point on that. I tend to get these weird phone calls or text messages from phone numbers that look a lot like mine. But if you look closely, it's actually from a different country code. And they're actually using a different country code to make it look like mine. Yeah, so I have like my area code and the area code starts with a six. Uh, And so in order for them to get like legitimate text messages or, or phone calls from a number that starts with that number, they will actually call from a country code that starts with a six. And in some cases, it's a country code that has like a shorter phone number or a longer phone number. So it's like you see some weird kind of gibberish on the end. When I get the phone calls uh, coming through or the text messages coming through on an iPhone, it'll start with a plus sign, the number that I see. And anytime that you see a number start with a plus sign, those first few digits after the plus sign actually identify the country that the caller is calling from. And so you should, if that's not it, so if you live in the USA, the country code for the USA is just the number one so if you see a number calling you or text messaging you that starts with a plus and then the next number is not a one and you live in the USA, just know that that is an international piece of communication. Uh, that's, a, that's a great call out. Uh, I did not know that. Let's see. Uh, we've covered some technical ways of identifying phishing for email and for SMS. And for both email and and SMS, there are ways for scammers to make their um, uh, their messages, their emails, look a little more legitimate. Um, they could do a SIM swapping attack. They can steal someone's phone number. They could steal the phone. Uh, they might hack uh, an email of, say, your boss and then send a legitimate email as your boss to you. So uh, what do we do in this sort of situation? Um, my general approach, anytime I get uh, an email, a message that is requesting something sensitive or something really critical, I make a point to confirm that with that person out of band. So if it's an email, if it's an SMS, highly recommend that you just give the person a call confirm it out of band just through some other medium, any other medium than the one that was used to contact you. And that's a great way to rule out uh, these targeted attacks. Yeah. And this is is actually a technique that is commonly kind of, uh, I guess, proposed by your bank where they say, look, if we send you a piece of comms or you receive a piece of comms from us that you believe to be from us, then the right way to actually confirm that it's from them is like, don't rely on any any callback phone numbers or email addresses that are in that piece of communication itself. Go to Google, go to a search engine, Google like, okay, my bank, find the official website for your bank, find the official number through that and then call that official number and then confirm that this piece of comms is, is actually legitimate. So again, when you receive something that might have additional ways to be like, oh yeah, you can confirm this with us just by calling us back at this number, That whole piece of comms is suspect. Use another way to identify uh, how can I get in touch with this sending party through a a kind of like publicly reputable source, which would be their public website. And that is the way in which you want to confirm that this is, in fact, uh, legitimate.
1: Or if you're at your own office, you can use the company directory to look up a number. We'll talk about how uh, we've taken advantage of, you know, multi sending multiple layers of communication and how someone fell for a phishing scam uh, during a pen test uh, because they didn't look up the number that we wanted them, uh, you know, to call back in the company directory. But yeah, so if you have a company directory, uh, look up callback numbers there. Do not look up callback numbers on a email signature or anything like that.
0: One of the things that you may have heard in the past is like, so in a browser, if you see that lock icon in the URL bar, then that's an indicator that the site that you're communicating with is safe. And there was a point in time where that was more true than it is now. But uh, just because you see, let's say that you opened, you clicked on a link, you went somewhere and you see that lock sign. And all of a sudden I'm like, okay, it's the lock sign. That means that I'm safe. That is patently false at this point. Uh, there's actually a, a technology that has grown a ton in use over the past few years called Let's Encrypt, and uh, and prior to this technology, the the time that it takes to get that lock sign on, the, let's say that you spin up a scam website and you want to actually get that lock sign in your scam website, uh, it, it took a good amount of time before because you actually had to apply to uh, what's called a, a CA or a certificate authority for them to give you what you needed in order for you to get that lock sign on your site. Um, and so that took money, that took time. And now there's this technology called Let's Encrypt, which don't get me wrong, Let's Encrypt is fantastic. It does some great stuff. But one of the ways in which it is abused is now all of these fishers and scammers, they use Let's Encrypt to get those lock signs on their sites when it's actually an illegitimate site. So that lock sign does not mean very much with respect to is this the site that I think it is? It does mean that like, yes, my traffic to it is encrypted, but it is not an indicator that you have landed on a legitimate or good website. Yeah. Yeah. Take it on its own. The lock sign does, it doesn't tell you a lot, but if you are 100% sure that the URL is correct, then the lock sign does ensure that you, your comms to that website are secure, and uh, the example I'm thinking of here is if you're sitting in an internet cafe or Starbucks and you're getting man in the middle, um, you might be able to navigate to your bank's website, but if the lock sign is missing, that might be because an attacker is tampering with your traffic.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So some other things that you can do to keep yourself safe with respect to phishing: uh, get alerts for unrecognized logins. Going back to what I was talking about before where somebody might email bomb your uh, email bomb your account or just flood you with a bunch of emails, they're trying to get one of the emails that was sent to you kind of buried in there so you don't see it. One of those emails can be that, hey, your account was logged into by an unrecognized device. And so if somebody does manage to break into your account or you do end up like giving your credentials to somebody else unwittingly and they log in, you are now going to get notified that those credentials have been used in a place that you did not know about. Another thing that we... Harp on all the time uh, is, is what we call MFA or multi-factor authentication. And there you probably use some services that require this by default already, and you may not know it. So, for instance, if there's any service that's like, hey, you've logged in, but we don't recognize the device that you're logging in from, we're going to send you a text message and you got to give us the code in that text message. That is a form of multi-factor authentication the whole idea behind multi-factor authentication is it's not just your username and password that's going to let you in this time the sms version that i just said where they're going to send you a text message with a code in it is not the number one choice that's not the one that we would recommend at the gate there's uh google authenticator is one that i use but there's there's lots of different kind of like token software that you can put on your phone where like basically you're going to log in And then the next screen you get to is going to ask you for a code and you have to pull up your phone and find the code that is being generated on your phone and type that code in and then you're fully, fully logged in. It sounds similar to what happens with SMS, but the big distinction here is instead of the code being sent to you, the code is just generated by your phone. That's a much more secure way to make it so that if somebody does compromise your credentials, they cannot use those credentials to log into some service because they don't have that code that is being generated on your phone.
1: Yeah, and and they can't, uh, like as Logan was saying, they can't, uh, you know, do a SIM swap or do a number hijack, which have been methods recently used um, to abuse that SMS multi-factor authentication method here. So that that uh, other pieces of software, the Google Authenticator, uh, just to name a few others, if if you want to look it up. Uh, Duo is another one, Um, Ping ID, uh, of course, RSA is the one that most people know in the corporate world. Um, Those are more like uh, paid for options on it. Uh, They each have their own free version. But uh, I'm not sure if RSA does actually, but Ping ID and and Duo do. But yeah, if you want to look up other forms of multi-factor authentication that you can use that Chris was recommending... Google Authenticator, Duo, Ping ID, those are the three that I would say people could check out and are easy to use. Easy enough to, you know, my mother who is not, she would never claim that she's great with computers. Uh, She uses Google Authenticator and Duo as well. How dare you speak about your mother that way? I hope oh, she doesn't hear this, Drew. <laughs> she she listens to the podcast and she's like, I love it because I can understand it. I was like, that was the point. That was the point.
0: <laughs> so two last things with, with avoiding phishing. If you get something that you think is funky, that you don't trust, that you think is weird, if you're at work, send it to security. If you don't have a security team, we'll tell you our hourly, hourly rates. If you get this weird communication at home, though, you can share it with somebody that's tech savvy, share it with somebody else that might know more about like what to be looking out for than you, or just throw it out. But in both cases, you can consult other people, consult other expertise. Um, and especially in the corporate domain, because that's where you run the most risk, right? Like if you're getting fished for personal accounts, then you're the one that's going to get hurt. If you're getting fished for corporate accounts, they might be coming after the company. If you, you know, I've seen cases where people that get fished and end up, Disclosing company information are then on the chopping block. Uh, mm-hmm. Be very careful in the corporate uh, in the corporate world because mm-hmm. the potential implications for you can be even larger than in the private world.
1: And, and yeah. when you send this to someone, do not do not forward the whole message to them. Take a screenshot of it and send that. Do not send them the attachment that you got. Do not you know send the link or anything. Uh, you got to be very careful because now what's going to happen is you are going to be a trusted. person sender for that person and they're going to see, you know, Oh, you sent them an attachment. They may not read your email message before they open up that attachment. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, so don't do that. Right. Uh, you want to send like a screenshot or just a general message that says, Hey, I think I, you know, am being targeted for phishing, uh, I'm going to send you some stuff or, 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 you know, you used to be able to just say like, hey, uh, can you walk on over to my desk and take a look at this? Now it's, uh, can I do a screen share with you and you can take a look at (laughs) it? Can we (laughs) zoom about
0: it? (laughs) We said before, chances are you're going to get fished. What do you guys think you should do if you do get fished? What's the process for handling this once you realize like, oh, no, something happened? Or how do I know when this has happened?
1: First thing that you should do, make a cup of coffee because you're going to be in panic (laughs) mode. So like... (laughs) You're going to make a lot of bad decisions when you're in panic mode. You know, it's, it's, it's the old saying, if you get lost in the forest, what's the first thing that you do? And the answer is you make a fire. And that is actually because it's a calming response. Uh, making a cup of coffee allows you a few moments of uh, gathering your thoughts so that you don't start doing things in a rash format. So it sounds kind of silly, uh, but it actually allows you to regather yourself. Without uh, going straight into panic mode, you'll still be in panic mode. Don't don't get me wrong, uh, but it will allow you to be more rational than if you just start doing things like that second right when you thought something was happening. Because a lot of times, what people will do is they're like, "Oh my gosh, I just been fished," and then they log into like their other accounts and uh, <laughs> yep, their computer yep. is compromised. Right? So this will get you like, okay, what what should I do? Who who should I you know call about this? So, you know, get a cup of coffee, call one of your technical friends. If, if you're not super technical um, or if you're at the corporate world, uh, call security immediately or, or uh, call your boss immediately. Let them all know. Uh, try to not use standard, you know, w- devices that you think could have been compromised through the fish. If it's just your accounts that were compromised and, you know, that's just that but if you if your email if you think email was compromised like use cell phones message your boss on your cell phone not through email right not through another corporate account through your personal number call them directly um because the, the attackers might be looking for that right but first thing make a cup of coffee or tea or whatever you like um, or a fire if you're in the forest <laughs> a fire if you're lost in the middle of the forest uh, and, and you've been fished and you've just realized it, uh, <laughs> uh, and then, and then come up with, you know, a, who am I, who do I need to contact? What do I need to do type thing. Uh, that's the first thing. So, uh, I'll let, I'll, I'll let other folks cover the other things that you should do, but that's the, I, in my opinion, that's the first thing that you should do is just do something to collect your thoughts before you do rash, um, you know, actions trying to respond to this.
0: I I like that. And I hadn't heard that before. That's a good one. Um, I mean, and and how do you actually know that something bad has happened here? Uh, identity theft is a big one. If you start getting comms from like financial institutions for actions that you're not taking, uh, like credit monitoring is a good one as well, because you'll see like, oh, has there been a hard pull on your credit scores? And like, if you didn't authorize a new credit line, that's a big indicator. Um, locked accounts is another big one. So if all of a sudden your password stopped working, uh, that's not great. And then spam emails being sent to you from an email account as well. So again, like there are plenty of services where as you use those services, as you make changes to your accounts, as you do different things, you're gonna get communications back uh, or maybe it's like there's some institution that is now sending you email that appears to be related to a new account that you've opened with them when like you don't recall doing that. These are all indications that somebody is using the information they have from you for purposes that you don't uh, you do not permit.
1: No joke. While we're talking about this, I just got a text message from a friend of mine saying that uh, they they just clicked on a link to an email and they like don't believe it's legitimate anymore. But they no already way. logged in. Yeah, I kid you not. Like I just was reading <laughs> no, that. I was like, this, we got to get this episode out. <laughs> 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 no.
0: All right. Another few things that you can think about is, look, if passwords are compromised, then you got to start rotating your passwords. Oh, we've talked about it before. Password managers are your friend here. It's going to significantly reduce the blast radius of password compromise. If financials and identity theft are involved... Cancel the affected card, freeze your credit, contact your bank. You need to get on top of that as soon as possible. Because identity identity theft and and identity fraud are, are particularly painful to deal with. But yeah, freezing your credit, contacting your bank, uh, and and canceling any affected cards are, are the way to go there. And then if you're at your job, you know sp- speed is of the f- essence. Do this quickly. As soon as this happens, contact the parties that can help you resolve this, whether that's security, whether that's IT, your boss, you want it documented, you want it on paper. As soon as this happens, as soon as you realize something is happening, you want to contact the people that are potentially going to be impacted or can help you resolve this, uh, especially in a corporate setting.
1: Yeah, and with your bank, the speed is of essence is even more important. Some banks have a 90-day grace period uh, for when you see like Activity that doesn't look um, normal. Uh, Some banks have a shorter period. I I recently just... I forget the bank name, but it's a friend of mine whose bank had like a 30-day grace period and uh, he missed it. So, like, he... Luckily, that was the... It was the beginning of the attack and it it wasn't a large sum in the very beginning, uh, but it became larger and larger as time went on. So, he, he, you know, lost out on... Uh, a few hundred dollars, which is nothing to, to, you know, to blink at. still a bummer. Um, That's, it's definitely a a bummer. uh, But if he would have like just not have paid attention for another week, it would have been thousands of dollars. That's why, that's why you just need to start doing things, uh, you know, as quickly as possible. We're we're a
0: bit long on time here, but we've mentioned multiple times in this episode already that we have a few stories to share. So I, I'm going to propose that Drew, you pick a story that you want to tell. We'll tell it real quick, and then I've got one in mind uh, that I'd like to tell as well. And, and at least mine's going to be about spearfishing. I imagine that yours is probably closely related.
1: Uh, yeah. So I'll, I'll talk about one where we're actually targeting a bank. Um. And, uh, this bank, they were very proud with how much money they spent on, uh, training up their employees so they don't fall for phishing attempts. And we were told that right in the beginning, they're just like, Hey, uh, you know, all our employees are super alert. We literally pay thousands of dollars minimum per employee to go through all these phishing trainings. And, you know, they're very proud of it. And, uh, I was like, okay, yeah, cool. This is this is going to be a fun challenge with that. I um found who they did their training through. They didn't tell us, they didn't want to tell us, which is, you know, understandable. Found who they did their training through, went through one of their trainings to see what they're being trained up on and saw a weakness. And the weakness was that they didn't use the company directory to look up callback numbers Mm. so the first thing i did was i sent an email uh and uh actually the first thing that i did was i created a email account using a url that looked very similar to theirs but not exactly theirs and uh so when you look at it you know i changed an i to an l or something like that an l to an i something like that and it um it looked very, very familiar to them. So I did that so that I could respond back to people if they sent me an email off the email I sent them. So if they replied to the email I sent them, um, then I would get that. And the person who I, who I was sending it as would not actually get that if you're just spoofing it, which is what would happen. So, so I set that up, and then I found their phone number block. And I bought the number one after their block so if their number was five 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 you know one two three four five six seven um, what I mean by block is they owned five, five 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 one two three and then they owned you know four and then all the numbers uh, uh, from you know five to to eight on every single one of those so I bought the, five, 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 one, two, three, four, five, uh, you know, seven, seven number. So it was one right after their block. So it looked like I was part of their, their block when it came to numbers that they had. i sent an email, which is known as a pretext saying, Hey, um, by this weekend, we're going to be trying to upgrade everyone's Adobe software, which is a problem that they were actually having is, uh, Adobe being out of date. And we sent an email as like a IT person from that company saying, we're going to be sending this, uh, we're, we're going to be updating everyone's stuff before the weekend. If we have problems with your systems, we're going to be giving you a call and you're going to have to help us, uh, do it on that time. And then I sent like, we will not be asking for account information. We will not be, you know, all these things, uh, to make them feel confident. Uh, So we sent that out. And then on the signature, I had a callback number and I had my email and the person I was pretending to be. I send this email out to, I don't know, not a very large amount, 12 people and in different departments. um, And I call one and the first person I call, the very first person I call, I'm just like, hey, this is so-and-so. I sent an email Uh, earlier uh, we can unfortunately update your computer and we just need you to go through some of these things. And she was like, no. I was like, what? I was like, oh man, already got busted. She's like, no, I'm not going to do this. And I was like, okay. Um, She was like, I need to verify who you are. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, I can send you an email. And she's like, nope. I was like, well, if you want, you can give me a call back on my line. Uh, the number is in the email I sent you so we can do that. She's like, okay. And she calls, she hangs up and I'm thinking like, man, first email (laughs) or first call. I just get busted. Bad luck. Yep. Yep. I, uh, call another person, left them a voicemail and then I get a call immediately. Um, after I left that other person a voicemail and I'm thinking like, oh yeah, this is, and it, it comes from, uh, just their general office line number. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is security. They were alerted, and they're telling me like the gig is up. And I'm like, man, I'm such an idiot. I remember typing that in like the team chat. I was talking to people, and uh, she it happens to be the person I called, and she was just like, "Hi, is this so and so?" I was like, "It is." And she's like, "Okay, I just needed to verify who you were, uh, you know, because there's there's phishing attempts that are happening." And I said. Well, I appreciate your diligence in security. <laughs> Will you be willing to help us uh, to help secure your computer even more? And she was like, "Yep." And sure enough, she just clicks away on. I send her uh, to uh, uh, Adobe Patch is a URL I used to have. It is like totally busted now, <laughs> um, which is why I'll talk about it. But it was like their bank name dot Adobe Patch dot com. Yep, and. Uh, it would show up as like the Adobe website, but then it would say, you know, this patch is for, and then it would have like their bank logo uh, and then it would be like approved by, and then it would be like the security manager, um, clicked on it, ran it. It was a backdoor right yep. after that. Mm-hmm. Um, of course. uh, actually I, uh, someone was operating with me on the social engineering attack. So they, they were, uh, looking for, connections and it was one of our good friends uh joe and he like text me and he was like yep egg i uh i'm in i was like great and we did that a few other times to a few more people uh eventually we did get caught um because we just kept on going a real attacker would just probably left it there right but we wanted more and more and more uh but yeah i mean they were trained to know what to do they verified who I was by doing a callback. So they didn't want to re- respond to me via email because they were already aware like, Oh, you don't talk through that same communication. It could be compromised. Um, so they wanted to call me back. But the thing was, is they didn't call me back by looking up my number on the company directory. They just looked at my signature. And since it was in the same look a uh, block that theirs mm-hmm. looked like, she thought it was mine or she thought it was a legitimate like number. Like, who how could an attacker get that number right but yeah, so that was uh that is one of my more proud phishing stories yeah,
0: that's a good play <laughs> that's a that's a good one okay I'll, I'll get to this one this one fairly quickly uh but but it's a similar story of, of spear phishing. so I was on an engagement where I was targeting a specific company and uh and this company had registered their domain dot com but they had not registered their domain.net. And I looked and saw how their email was configured. I noticed that they didn't have these like modern email protections that prevent spoofing or at least make spoofing harder. So I was like, okay, I know what I'm going to do here. I, uh, found their VPN portal. So where they the website that they would go to, to log into their VPN. I copied that website. And I put it under the same subdomain, but under the .net domain that I had added. So it was, if it was like vpn.foo.com, I now had an exact replica of that running under vpn.foo.net. I then, because they lacked these uh, the, these email security uh, configurations, I spoofed an email from my point of contact, the head of security, to. A number of people that I found on LinkedIn. So I went on LinkedIn. I found who are the employees of this company. Who are the ones that I think would probably be most susceptible and have a decent amount of access. Figured out what their email addresses would be because typically it'll be like you know if you have an email from somebody at the company, you'll see what their scheme is. Typically it's like you know first letter of your first name followed by your last name or full first name followed by the first three characters of last whatever. So if you have the scheme in hand and you know the people that work at the company, you can put together a, a list of people that you want to send emails to. So I sent an email out to a bunch of these employees and said, hey, everybody, uh, because of the VPN outages that we had the other week, we're establishing a bit more redundancy. Uh, We're deploying VPN logins underneath our new domain for the company, which is foo.net. If you can just go ahead and try logging into this portal at your earliest convenience, uh, we'd appreciate it. Let us know if you have any issues. And it was, the email appeared to be from the right person and it was under the right domain, but I, I actually misspelled the name very slightly. And there was like an I that I switched for an L. So if somebody did respond to it, it would actually not end up in their inbox. So I send this email out and I get probably 10 to 15 people to log into it immediately. I sent it out to like 30 people. Um, <laughs> and, and so I get all these credentials and so I start trying to log in and their VPN has two-factor authentication. Uh, which is you know, multi-factor authentication. So I needed somebody to press a button on their phone to let me log in with their account. But their email did not have that on it. So I could actually log into the Outlook 365 and start looking at the communications here. And one of the parties that I had compromised was already in communications with the head of security. So the head of security had emailed out saying, hey, this wasn't me. If you responded to it, please let me know. And so I'm actually watching this, this uh, chain of communications go back and forth between these two people, and I can tell that they're actually on the phone talking about this. And, uh, and so I'm sitting there, I, I've logged into the, the real VPN portal, and it's there prompting me for a code. It was actually using Duo. And so with Duo, you can press a button that says like, hey, yeah, just send a push notification to my phone, and then I have to press a button on my phone and you'll be logged in. But the thing is, when I pressed that, it was going to ring this party's phone and they would have to press a button and then I would be allowed in. But I'm thinking like, well, I know that they're on the phone with a security person right now and they're trying to resolve this issue. I wonder if I just push the notification to their phone if they'll accept it. So I was like, eh, whatever, press the button. And sure enough, they let me in. And then I was on their VPN and in their internal corporate network with access to all of their corporate data. That was an example of some pretty intense spear phishing as well. I mean, that's that's kind of the level of sophistication that people can get to. is like they're impersonating the right person. They're saying things that sound right. Uh, it's coming from a trusted, trusted party. Like all these things can happen. So, so I think this just kind of goes back to, to the, we want to put emphasis on everybody is susceptible to this. Uh, if you think you're not, you're probably more susceptible than people that think they are. Uh, I, I could definitely fall for something like that if I'm not being attentive, uh, even though I'm, I'm on like the, the paranoid scale when it comes to security awareness.
1: Yep, definitely. That's the key point. Everyone
0: falls for this. And then lastly, with respect to these stories, if anybody saw the big Twitter hack that happened a few weeks back, which is when uh, basically there were a bunch of massive accounts tweeting out this Bitcoin scam, so like Barack Obama, Elon Musk, Apple, uh, that compromise originated from spear phishing against Twitter. The three takeaways for today's episode are as follows. One, phishing is when someone is trying to con you out of something valuable like information, money or access. Two, always think twice when someone asks you for sensitive information. Are you sure you know who you're communicating with? Are they really the agent of the company they say they are? How much confidence do you have in the fact that these people are doing something good, not bad? And then three, no matter how aware you are, even the most diligent people can still get fished successfully. Phishing is one of the most effective techniques in a hacker's arsenal, and with what you've learned in today's episode, you should be in a better position to avoid and handle getting fished. Having said that, phishing threats require constant vigilance and a shift in how we interact with emails, instant messages, and text. Even experts get fished. Be careful out there. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Security Explained. If you enjoyed listening, we'd love to hear from you. We're always looking for new topics that our audience finds interesting, and you might be able to pick our next show. Feel free to reach out via social media or radar podcast on your listening platform to let us know how we're doing. You can find us on the web at securityexplained.fm or on Twitter at secexplained. Thanks again, and until next time, stay safe.